Welcome back to another edition of Truncated Thoughts presented by Prescouter, where we discuss one hot topic in healthcare in around five minutes. I'm your host, Jeremy Schmerer, and I'm joined by Ryan LaRanger. Ryan has a PhD in genetics and developmental biology and did his postdoc in biomedical engineering. In case you haven't heard, we are in the middle of a pandemic, but there seems to be light at the end of the tunnel as Pfizer, Moderna, and soon J&J and AstraZeneca roll out their vaccines. So Ryan, today I wanted to talk to you about why the creation of an mRNA vaccine is such a significant accomplishment as opposed to live virus vaccines. Can you tell us a bit about what makes it unique and how it works? I certainly can. Uh, We can talk about it from two perspectives. One being, how new is this and what sort of makes it exceptional? And the other one being, what is its promise? What might it be able to do moving forward? Uh, mRNA vaccine is an idea that's been around for a while. Uh, On the surface, it's extremely attractive. The idea of being able to code exactly what you want to make a vaccine against and then just inject that into the body, have it go to the right cells and have it produce the protein that you're interested in uh, creating a response, uh, very straightforward. The challenge is that mRNA is unstable in uh, most normal physical conditions, one, and two, cells will elicit a very strong immune response against mRNA when they find it. And so it doesn't last long enough in the body to create that response you need it to create. Uh, These are advances, or rather, in the mRNA space, one of the major advances is the creation of modified mRNAs that still produce their primary function, but are stable enough to survive in the body and code for the production of the protein of interest. So let me break that down a little bit further. The idea with an mRNA vaccine in general is you take a mRNA sequence, and that mRNA sequence codes for a protein that you're interested in, and you surround that in either a lipid or some other device, uh, delivery device. You inject that into the body. That mRNA goes into your cells of interest. The mRNA stays in the cytoplasm, so it does not go into the nucleus. It does not incorporate it into the DNA of the cell, and it produces that protein of interest and then sends it out to the cell membrane, If it's a cell membrane protein, it displays that protein. The immune system sees that protein, thinks this is unusual, mounts an immune response, and then you keep the memory B cells, you keep the memory cells, which allow your body to, when it sees that protein again, say when COVID uh, attacks you, and is able to very quickly mount an immune response. Now, uh, first of all, before I move on, does that generally make sense in terms of a the background, what an mRNA vaccine is, and how is it a little bit different? Yeah, it sounds like there are a lot of moving parts to this. It is fairly unique, and there are a lot of processes within the body that are speaking to each other when you receive such a vaccine. What I'm curious about is how repeatable are the processes that were used to develop this vaccine? You know, will we see the mRNA vaccine technology being applied to the development of other vaccines, or will we continue to see more live viruses being used for things like the flu? So this is one of the beautiful things about the mRNA vaccine. Uh, Ostensibly, if you have the code of a protein, you can make an mRNA for that protein, and you can make a mRNA vaccine for that protein. Now, it's not that simple. 
there's still, it's not as if, you know, you can go to the printers, make it, and then move on with your life. Uh, there's still some optimization that needs to be done in terms of making the right code, tweaking things so that you get good expression of the protein, modulating things like the dose. So it's not uh, automatic, rollout, we can cure all diseases. That's one element. The second element, uh, in terms of thinking of mRNA as a cure-all, is you need to keep in mind that mRNA vaccines have major costs associated with them. And there are a couple of different costs. Uh, one of them in particular is storage. Uh, mRNA vaccines need to be kept cold. They need to be kept very cold. Whereas most deactivated virus vaccines or other protein-based vaccines, those can be stored at room temperature. Uh, everywhere this matters, but particularly in developing countries, this is very important. Because in those environs, it's difficult to get and maintain reliable cold storage for long periods of time. And so there's a trade-off. mRNA vaccines are more expensive, especially on the transport side, but they give you a great deal of flexibility in terms of what you can do with them. Other deactivated virus vaccines, they have a little bit less, uh, I will say, flexibility to them. They can be a little bit more challenging on the manufacturing side, but once you've made them, you have them. So Effectively, it is something that can be repeated, but due to infrastructure requirements, um, you know, it may not carry the same, say, mass appeal as, as some of the live viruses, as you referred to. Is that, do I have that right? Precisely, yeah. Okay. And so what we're seeing, you started to talk about some of the, the global elements of, of COVID or, or just, you know, the development of various medicines. Now, we're continuing to see the COVID variant or mutated strains occurring in places like the UK, Germany, Brazil, and recently here in the US. Can you speak to how this vaccine will hold up against these emerging strains? So this is actually a really interesting question. And I'll give you sort of two answers. The main one being, basically, it depends. So the mRNA vaccine is targeting a specific protein, just one, right? And your body is then making antibodies to various uh, epitopes or binding sites on that protein. And so if these novel forms of uh, COVID-2 have changes in that protein, uh, in this case, the spike protein, then if your antibodies don't recognize it, the vaccine won't be effective. Now, one of the benefits of this approach is that if we are able to sequence the new version of the protein, then you can make pretty easily a modification of the mRNA vaccine, which also gives you immunity to that new variant. It allows us to have a very quick cycle time between detection of a mutant and creation of a new vaccine. And of course, uh, the other part of that answer is yes, assuming the spike protein does not materially change or change drastically. So as we, as we wrap up and, you know, can you give our listeners confidence that there is an end in sight to this provided that people get vaccinated? So vaccination is wonderful. It's exciting. It is part of the solution because distribution of this vaccine is difficult, mass, like very, very high production of this vaccine is also a little bit tricky, right? Uh, ideally, it would be nice if we had different sources of vaccines as well. What I can say is we're looking to have uh, 
I will say the estimates that I've seen suggest that summer, early fall, we should be at a point where enough people have gotten vaccinated that we're in good shape. Um, it's not going to be immediate. It's part of a dynamic healthcare solution, which includes the vaccine, but uh, the vaccine seems to work very, very well. I will give one important caveat. Something to watch out for when you're looking at these trends is what is the long-term efficacy of this vaccine. To my understanding, from what I've seen so far, because the vaccine development has been so rapid, we are not absolutely sure what the stability of long-term immunity is. That's something that we'll see. But as we get more of that data, we'll get a better sense of how open things can get. Absolutely. Great, great thoughts. And certainly something that we'll continue to monitor and perhaps discuss in a future episode. Um, obviously a very fluid situation, but that is all the time that we have for today. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on mRNA vaccine technology, which hopefully will help foster the new normal in society. If you liked what you heard, want to weigh in on our discussion, or suggest a topic for Ryan and I to discuss on a future podcast, you can find information on how to contact us in the show notes. Join us again next week, where we think we'll be discussing quantum computing in healthcare. Until then, thanks for listening, and stay safe.